some of you may or may not know, my uh, grandfather was a chemist. Uh, he ran a, a pharmacy in Cairns. Uh, and my father trained to follow in his, footstep, uh, his footsteps as well. He became a chemist, at least initially, so he could take over the family business. Uh, lots of people do that, don't they? Uh, in fact, in the old days, it was pretty normal. That's where surnames came from. John Taylor was a tailor, like his dad. Bill Smith was a blacksmith, uh, and so on. Uh, Balzer is apparently German for birdcatcher. I, I didn't know it was a career, but there you go. Uh, the funny thing is, Dad left being a chemist to go into the ministry, so in a sense I'm following in his footsteps as well. Uh, sometimes going into the family business can carry huge benefits. Think James Packer or Lachlan Murdoch. Uh, imagine your dad being Kerry Packer or Rupert with billions of dollars uh, available to you and you just walk in right at the top because you're part of the family. There is, though, a much better family business to be involved in. We can be part of it, uh, one with a better inheritance than dollars, uh, one that has an eternal inheritance. And Jesus invites us to be part of it. You can see it there in verse 33, near the end of the chapter. Jesus' mum and brothers have come to take him home. They think he's crazy. He's too focused on helping others that he won't even stop to eat. He just doesn't have boundaries, I can hear them saying. Uh, but when Jesus is told that his mother and brothers have come for him, he redefines things. He redefines who's really part of his family. He redefines his real brothers, his real mother. He redraws family boundaries. Notice what he says in verse 33. Who are my mother and my brothers? He looks at the crowd seated in a circle around him, the ones listening to his every word, and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother, my sister, my mother. People like this, Jesus is calling to be part of the family business. He's still calling. He's still calling you to be part of it as well. Are you willing to sit at Jesus' feet, to learn from him, to learn to do God's will, to learn about Jesus? Because if you are, you can join Jesus' family business as well. well let's look at how Jesus goes about doing his work. He's getting people to join the family. Verse 13 uh, out of all the hundreds, perhaps thousands of the crowd who are following him, he calls together a group of 12, 12 who are going to be at the centre of what he's doing. And he gives them a name, not disciples, but apostles. Uh, they're more than just followers. Uh, he's got hundreds of those. These are sent ones. Uh, these are representatives or agents uh, because he's going to send them out. And they'll be doing the things that he's doing. They'll be part of the family business. They'll be preaching good news and driving out demons with the authority of the family. Uh, they're the names, perhaps some are familiar to you. Verse 16, we've got James and John. We've got Andrew and Thomas. Uh, there's a few names that are not so well known. There's Bartholomew. I'm not sure we hear about him too often. Uh, there's Thaddeus who's apparently also called Judas. But perhaps because there's another Judas, he gets called Thaddeus. Then there's Matthew. 
which is another name for Levi, the tax collector we met in the last chapter. There are two Simons, so one gets called Peter, the rock, the other one gets called the zealot, (laughs) the rock, the zealot. And then there are two hot-headed brothers, James and John, they get called sons of thunder, which sounds to me like an outlaw bikey gang. And the list finishes, as always, with Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. It really is a slightly ragtag bunch, isn't it? But these are the 12 apostles, the new Israel, the ones for the family business. But along with them, anyone else who wants to really do God's will, who'll sit at his feet and listen to every word. But what's unexpected is that the people you would expect to be part of the family, those who understand him best, are the ones on the outside. Like his birth family, his mum and his brothers. They've known Jesus for years, but they just don't seem to understand him at all. It's the same with the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They should have been expecting the Messiah. They should have the clearest view of all. Experts on the Old Testament that promised him. Let's look at how those two groups get it wrong. His mum and his brothers say he's mad. The Pharisees say he's bad. Verse 20, Jesus comes to a house. There's a crowd. There's so much happening, so many people to help uh, that he and the disciples don't even get time to stop for a bite to eat. Somehow, verse 21, it gets back to his family and and they, they go to take charge of him. They say he's out of his mind. So fanatical and devoted, food doesn't matter. They think he's not looking after himself. He just needs a good home-cooked meal. His natural family don't understand what the family business is about. They don't see a king who's come to conquer Satan's kingdom. They don't see the Messiah come to preach good news or God's son doing God's work. They see the boy they grew up with, the boy with scars on his knees, who's, over, who's obsessed and over-enthusiastic. He just needs some common-sense advice about not getting too committed, and so they want to take him home. They miss the significance of what he's doing. And so verse 32, when they finally make it to the door... And the message is passed through the crowd. Your mum and your brothers are here. Jesus says those words we saw earlier about a new family with new allegiances. A family of people who, who can see the reality of God's kingdom. Who's my true family? He says, those listening to me, those doing God's will. While his natural family look on from the outside. Uh, my true family, those doing God's will. That's the way it is, I think, for lots of Christians uh, who come from non-Christian families or perhaps who are single. They're true family. Uh, They've got deeper bonds in some ways with their church family than they do with their natural family. There are more points of connection uh, with their church family in lots of ways than with their natural family. Our church family has the potential to be just that, doesn't it? A place with genuine intimacy and connection and purpose 
and joy that comes from all of us sitting at Jesus' feet with our brothers and sisters. Leah said it today, didn't she? They've added to their family. (laughs) They've got a big boy now who's 19 or so. He's part of the family because he's one of Jesus' brothers and sisters as well. We need to be a a church like that, don't we? A church that's family. Especially a place for our singles, for those with no other Christians in their family. But there's another group who get Jesus confused as well. They misunderstand what he's on about, and boy do these guys get it wrong. The teachers of the law are convinced he's evil. And and Mark wants us to to keep these two groups together, to to look at both of them uh, as we compare them. And so he uses a sophisticated literary technique I call the sandwich technique. Uh, And we see it a number of times in Mark's Gospel. Uh, The family, if you like, are the two bits of bread. The teachers in the middle, they're the filling in the sandwich. He gives us the first part of the story about the family and then he leaves them uh, and then he tells us about the teachers and then he comes back and he finishes with the family. Do you get it? The sandwich technique. We've got the bread and we've got the filling. Two wrong ways of thinking about Jesus. So let's look at the teachers. They see the things that he's doing. He's driving out demons. He's been setting people free from unclean spirits back up in verse 11 and 12. Whenever they saw him, they'd fall down before him. They'd cry out. This is Jesus controlling the forces of evil. He says the word and they submit. And so the experts put two and two together and they come up with five. (laughs) Anyone with that sort of power over spirits, well, they have to be from the dark side. Demons bow down to you, so you must be the prince of demons. So they accuse him in verse 22. Uh, He's possessed by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. He's driving out demons. His family thought he was mad. The teachers of the law think he's bad. Uh, But it's obvious, isn't it? It's not the devil's business Jesus is doing. He's doing his father's business, the business of his kingdom. He's not setting people free because he's from Satan. He's setting people free because he's from God. Demons are not bowing before their master. They're running from their enemies. Jesus' answer comes in two parts. He says what his business isn't and he says what it is. First up, verse 23, what his business isn't. He's not Satan driving out Satan. That's nonsense. A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. That's not what's happening. Instead, verse 27, what his business is. He's the ultimate removalist. He's the ultimate uh, pest exterminator. He's raiding Satan's bank vault. He's carrying off his treasures. He's setting people free from his power. He says no one can enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob the house. That's what Jesus has been doing. Verses 7 to 10, healing, preaching, getting rid of demons. He's raiding Satan's pantry. He's organising a breakout from Satan's jail. He's the stronger man binding up the strong man. If they'd been paying attention, they would have realised. In fact, interestingly, uh, over in chapter 5, we meet a demon-possessed man 
who's been bound up with chains. But he's so strong, he breaks them. And there's no one who's strong enough to be able to defeat the demons who are torturing him. Until Jesus, the stronger man, comes along. The teachers may not get it, but the funny thing is the the evil spirits who are on the receiving end, they see what Jesus is doing. It's a bit hard not to notice when you're being invaded. Verse 11, whenever the evil spirits see him, they fall down before him and they cry out, you are the son of God. Interesting, isn't it? The ones who should have worked out Jesus didn't. The Pharisees, his family. And the ones Jesus is actually attacking, the demons, they get it right. They knew who was attacking them. You just can't ignore Jesus. You have to make up your mind. He's not harmless. He's not irrelevant. He's not a historical relic. The three choices are right here, aren't they? He's mad, deluded, thought he was something he wasn't. That's what his family thought. That's one option. Or else he's bad, he's evil, he's Satan's offsider, a wolf in sheep's clothing. The Pharisees thought that. That's the second option. Or else he's God. That's the third option. The evil spirits see that. They knew who was ordering them around. The people sitting around Jesus know it. They're listening intently to every word. There's your choice. Mad, bad or God. Or as C.S. Lewis describes it, Lord, liar or lunatic. Who do you say Jesus is? Does your life reflect that? There's another group in the passage, isn't there? There's the crowds. We don't hear much about them today, but they're always there. They're listening, they're watching. They have the same choice to make about who Jesus is, the same choice you've got. He's mad, he's bad, or he's God. Some of them are just hanging around for a free feed. Some of them want to be healed, they're desperate. Some are just following the entertainment. But there are some who are there for the right reasons. Some who saw something special in Jesus. More than just a meal ticket, a freak show, a quick fix. Something worth listening closely for, looking carefully at. Jesus begins chapter 4 when he talks about the parables by saying, him who has ears to hear, let him hear. They saw in Jesus something worth pushing through the crowd for, cramming into a tiny one-room house, squashing up on the floor with your knees under your chin. They did all of that so they could sit at Jesus' feet. Why? To find out what God wanted them to do. To find out how to please God. How to do more than talk the talk. The Pharisees were good at that. These people wanted to learn how to walk the walk. What's Jesus' verdict of these people? Here's my family. Is that where you are? Think about the crowds all around us in Asheville, in the inner west, in Sydney, 
thousands of people with some sort of opinion about Jesus, washing their car, shopping, reading the papers. Most of them have the wrong idea. Opinion based on ignorance. Probably because no one's ever told them what Jesus is like. No one's ever shown them what the Bible says about him. And so they've got the wrong idea. They ignore him because they think Jesus is irrelevant. Doesn't touch their real life. That Christianity is about Sundays and stained glass and singing. Because Jesus is nothing like they think, is he? He's no hypocrite. He's no religious irrelevancy. He's tough as nails against those who deserve it. He's courageous as a warrior facing enemies who hate him. He's a strong, stronger man facing Satan the strong man. A housebreaker, a headcracker, a pest exterminator. He's compassionate and gentle as a dove to the weak and the children and the outcasts. He's deeply loving and accepting of the broken and the downtrodden. He had a sharp wit, a sense of humour, a magnetic personality. He had hands as tough as leather, shoulders as wide as the mountains, the patience of a saint. He was the perfect image of God. He was the most complete personality who has ever lived. This was the Jesus some of the crowd followed everywhere. They were his true family. They sat at his feet, they listened to every word because more than anything else they recognised that this man had first-hand knowledge about God. He knew how to please him. You know, in the end, we, all, we have to choose. Uh, when it comes to Jesus, we, we can't sit on the fence. We can't continue living as if he's an irrelevancy. Uh, we have to choose. But there's a warning. Verse 28, so be warned. The religious experts were choosing exactly the wrong side of the fence to come down on that he's possessed by the devil. Verse 28, Jesus says that's a blasphemy. They thought that God's Holy Spirit in Jesus was actually an evil spirit. You can be forgiven for anything else, says Jesus, but that's one mistake there's no going back from. You get it that wrong about God's Holy Spirit, you're heading for an eternity without him. You need to make sure that's not you, that you know for certain who he is. He's not mad, he's not bad, he's God. Doing God's business, building God's family. If you know that, then you can be part of his family too. Who circle around him and listen, keen to know God's will. The warning is there because the world is full of people who think that they're on God's side because they have a certain opinion about Jesus. But, but it's based on ignorance. The only way to know what God wants, the only way to know what God wants, is to listen to Jesus. Take what he says seriously. So what's Jesus calling you to do? 
What is the family business about? I could say all sorts of things, couldn't I? Uh, the first step is to repent. We've seen that in Mark already, haven't we? That, that's been Jesus' big message. Repent and believe the good news. Stop living for yourself. Turn back to Jesus. And when we do that, when we trust him, we'll listen to what he says. For example, I've just picked a few things. What will it look like? What's God's will? Matthew 5. You've heard it said, do not murder. Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. What's God's will? Don't be angry. Uh, A few verses further on, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Watch lust. A few verses further on, you've heard it said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Matthew 18, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77. What's God's will? Forgive. Turn the other cheek. I I could go on. Uh, There are all sorts of things that Jesus is telling you that God's will is. All sorts of things that will make a real difference in your life. That reflect that you are sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his word. These are the things uh, that... Uh, that uh, Jesus' family business is about and that we're to be part of. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for these verses, these verses that uh, show us the options about how we can see Jesus. We want to be people who sit at his feet, who listen, who watch, who follow and imitate We want to be part of his family. What a blessing to call him our brother. Help us to do that more and more. Help our church to be a place that really reflects that title, a church family. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.